Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. You know we've had a bunch of special uh, editions this week. This is the normally scheduled Thursday podcast. How about that? We did one normal today, but we've been lucky. We've had Sean Hannity on this week. What a fun discussion that was yesterday. Uh, We put it up on YouTube in case you want to see it. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about some of the big issues going into the fall. No, we're not going to talk about Russia today. Sorry, if you came to listen to Russia, I'm going to disappoint you because we're going to talk about voter fraud. We're going to talk about religious freedom. We're going to talk about COVID restrictions. Uh, We're going to talk about a transgender debate going on in Pennsylvania. And the reason we're going to talk about it is because we have Jenna Ellis in the House. That's right, President Trump's senior legal counsel for the campaign a lawyer for the Thomas More Society on the front lines of both voter fraud and the uh, religious liberties battles going on in the midst of this 2020 election. So Jenna Ellis will be with us in a few seconds. You're not going to want to miss that. She is a rising star of the conservative movement, uh, a uh, advocate for homeschooling. She herself was homeschooled. She was a remarkable uh, law student, lawyer, doing great work, a prosecutor, Uh, If you haven't heard Jenna speak before, this is a great opportunity to listen to someone who's a rising star on the conservative side and also a very capable lawyer who is going to be very visible, very uh, uh, involved on the front lines of two of the epic constitutional battles we're going to be facing headed into the 2020 November election. What are they? Religious freedom from COVID-19 restrictions and ballot security, voter fraud, Uh, getting an honest count of America's votes on Election Day. Jenna Ellis is going to talk about all that. She had big news this morning. She sued Gavin Newsom, Los Angeles County, the mayor, to help a church out in California be allowed to have services that the state, the government, has been trying to shut down. So we'll have breaking news on the show with Jenna Ellis in just a few seconds. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about today's news headlines, a couple developments on the COVID-19 front that I think you want to hear about. And then we'll go right to Jenna Ellis. Uh, We'll be back in a few seconds after this great commercial break. Hey, folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome back to the commercial break. As I said, we're going to have Jenna Ellis a lawyer, senior legal advisor for the Trump campaign, somebody that's on the front lines of the battles of religious liberty today in America. She has a very powerful argument today. And uh, let me just give you a little quick outline of what she's working on this morning. We broke this at about 8 o'clock this morning on Just the News. It's a very important story. 
But uh, Jenna Ellis is part of the Thomas More Society, which today filed a lawsuit against the state of um, California, Gav- Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, Gil Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, and other state officials because Grace Community Church, um, led by the famous half-century pastor, John MacArthur, is being uh, forced to close down its worship services. It does not believe that is fair. And so they sued today in state court. I expect this case will ultimately rise to the uh, federal courts and maybe all the way to the Supreme Court. This is an important litigation to keep an eye on. And I want to point out something. We're going to talk to Jen about this in a second. But in the complaint, this balancing of uh, freedoms in the middle of, of a COVID-19 crisis. Everybody says, I agree, COVID-19 crisis is important. It's serious. We ought to take it seriously. Wear your mask when you're around people. Do social distancing. Wash your hands. Do all the things to try to help each one of us stay healthy in the middle of this pandemic because it's real. It's a real virus. Let's not pretend it isn't. Um, but she points out some really big incongruities in California, which is California's allowed protesters to be inches apart on the streets without arresting them or harassing them or trying to force them down. They've allowed marijuana dispensaries to stay open for business. They've allowed Walmarts and food stores and doctors and even abortion clinics to stay open and operating, let people congregate in small numbers. And yet, they won't let this church or other churches have their normal worship services, even if they practice social distancing, even if they wear masks. There's a lot going on. And the question here is, if we're going to have these restrictions, will they be applied uniformly? Will a person going to Walmart or the marijuana dispensary of the or the abortion clinic be treated the same way as someone that goes to an evangelical church, a Catholic church, a uh, Muslim mosque, a uh, Jewish temple? That is what's at stake in Jenna Ellis's litigation that she filed this morning in the state of California on behalf of the church there. All right, uh, other news on COVID-19. I think some very important developments. My good colleague, Daniel Payne, who's done a great job just really uh, uh, working on the various ways that you can um, see progress in the, in the war against COVID, because we want progress, right? We want things that are working to get to the forefront and be there. And we also want to challenge some of the assumptions that may not be based in fact that some of our public health officials have misled us or misguided us on. And listen, no one's perfect. It, it isn't wrong. It isn't a failure to admit that you made a mistake. I, uh, uh, there are reasons to believe that some of what we did in the pandemic early on didn't work. Some of the things we did in the pandemic that were criticized did work, like stopping travel from China in late January, like President Trump did. That everybody now agrees was the right thing to do. But back in January, a lot of people were calling it xenophobic, racist, unnecessary, overreactive. Well, guess what? That turned out to be the right decision. So people can be wrong in this COVID-19 pandemic, and they have been. Um, Daniel has an important story today, which reminds us that these um, deaths that have been reported as COVID-19 deaths aren't necessarily just about COVID. And uh, there is a study out of England that after it was done, it lowered the death rates in England for COVID-19 fatalities by something like 10 or 11%. You can go to justthenews.com and see that. That's a very important statistic, a very important development that reminds us that some of these early numbers may not be accurate yet, that when we're through the fog of war, when we do auditing, when we check things, that we're going to find out that some numbers are inflated, maybe some numbers are underreported. But never in a, in a crisis like the pandemic do we get everything right in the first count. 
And so that's one of the important things. Well, what Daniel has is he talked to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, the main health agency in America, and they told him that at least 3% of the deaths currently listed as COVID-19 caused actually involve other calamities, uh, not just comorbidities, but things that happened to the person prior to the death that has been listed as COVID-19. These include injuries in car accidents or work accidents, poisoning, um, other adverse events. You can imagine all of the things that happen on a daily basis, a heart attack, other things. And what the CDC is saying is that they believe that these people suffered something serious, went to the hospital, went to the doctor, uh, were, were trying to treat the injury and may have then contracted COVID-19 as part of it. Uh, in some other cases, it may, not, as we have seen a few times where things have been reversed, like a person who was killed in a car accident or motorcycle accident, and they listed COVID-19 as the cause of death. They may have been killed by something entirely else, but at least 3%, the CDC, is the first time we've gotten a statistic from the CDC. At least 3% appear to involve not just COVID, but other ailments, calamities, uh, crises, adverse events, as they say in the in the medical profession. I think that's a very important story, and we should keep an eye on that. Uh, Daniel Payne has that story atop Just the News. If you go to justthenews.com right now, you will see that. And I think that uh, as, we, as we go through the next few days, I think we're going to learn some more about what um, uh, is going on. Finally, the last COVID-19 story I want to point out to you again on justthenews.com. You go there if you haven't checked it out today. A lot of great headlines. The Yale professor, Harvey Risch. This is an epidemiologist globally respected out of Yale University. He is in complete disagreement with the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks. Why? Because he has, he says, empirical data showing that the combination of hydroxychloroquine, the antibiotic azithromycin, and the uh, vitamin mineral zinc um, does have a profound effect in protecting people or helping people overcome. Not protecting, but it's not a, it's not an anecdote. It's not a vaccine. But if you get the early symptoms of COVID nineteen, it makes people better much quicker before they get to a worse state of the disease. He's adamant about this, and I, you know he's become more and more vocal over the last couple of weeks. And I want to read something he said because he said that this. Um, when you're when you have the first stage of this, and it doesn't, his opinion is if you get to the critical stage, you're very sick. This is not going to help you. But at the early stages, it can ward off and stop the COVID nineteen disease from advancing from anything more than like early flu like symptoms. Um, it works. It can prevent you from killing it, the, this combination. The triple therapy combination is there. And here's what he says about the failure of Washington bureaucracies, Washington. Uh, health public officials to not allow this triple therapy, to not acknowledge the data that shows it's working. And I think that that's a very important thing. Here's what he says. It is a serious and unconscionable mistake that the FDA has used inpatient data to block emergency use petitions for outpatient use. All right, so that's what the FDA has done. They did a couple of clinical studies of people who were really sick and in the hospital with COVID-19 said, um, hydroxychloroquine didn't work, therefore nobody can use it. And what he's saying is, well, that was for sick people. You should make a different separate determination for outpatient people who maybe are not as sick, didn't need hospitalization because the data he has, scientific data, he's not making stuff up. He's not pulling something out of his hat. He is uh, looking at real empirical studies 
when people with early symptoms of COVID-19 take azithromycin, take hydroxychloroquine, take zinc together, the triple therapy, he says they get better quicker. There's no doubt early stage, it works. And he cannot understand why the FDA, the CDC, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the NIH can't grasp this and put this into action to save more American lives. And if you haven't seen uh, the latest from Harvey Rich, go to justthenews.com. You'll get that headline. Very important story. This is a debate that won't go away. And I think we're all left wondering now that is it just because President Trump embraced hydroxychloroquine early that these doctors, these public health officials, these other folks will not acknowledge that in some scenario, maybe not the exact one the president mentioned, but in some scenario, the hydroxychloroquine triple therapy uh, treatment does work and we could save lives with it. We could save people from having to get to the hospital stage of COVID-19 where your chances go down. We can save high risk patients early on from it. It's not a prophylactic, it's not a vaccine, it's not a plaza treatment. It's a triple therapy to help people at the early stages of this. Dr. Harvey Risch, the epidemiologist from Yale University, he is really, really becoming an agitator on this. And the question is, do our public health officials, do our governors who've spoke out against hydroxychloroquine, maybe for good intention reasons, are they willing to step back for a second as all things in a pandemic or war or other things that we're fighting, things change. We sometimes have early assessments that don't turn out to be true. Sometimes we have early conclusions that turn out to be false. I think at the end of the day, the question now before us that Harvey Risch is trying to force into the medical community is, will people step back and look at this issue with fresh eyes and maybe acknowledge that not everything that happened there is what we thought it was? That is the question we're facing, and um, we'll find out soon if that happens. All right, folks, uh, we're going to go to that Next commercial break, when we come back, Jenna Ellis, a lawyer for the Trump campaign, a senior legal advisor uh, on the front lines of a big breaking news story out of California today. Jenna Ellis will be uh, joining us in a second. One last thing, you're going to hear from our sponsors and our advertisers. If you want to continue supporting the show, if you like the podcast and the guests we have and the conversation and the civility that we try to have while getting you information in the news, you can do something. You can support our advertisers. You can buy their products, subscribe to their services. They help us make these shows, our Just the News website, our reporting possible. You can help us continue doing that by supporting these very generous, kind, well-intentioned, awesome advertisers and sponsors who have all great products. I use most of them. They're incredible. Um, please remember, if you want to do something and you like their products, this is something you can do quickly to, to make a difference uh, as we grow here at justthenews.com. All right, enough with that. We're going to go to that commercial break. When we come back, Jenna Ellis will be in the house. Just a few seconds. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake-me-up-when-the-sun-sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, Jenna Ellis, is joining me. Jenna is the 
a senior legal counsel for the Trump campaign, a fantastic lawyer, and she's in the middle of a big breaking story this morning because she filed a lawsuit against Los Angeles, California, and the mayor and the uh, governor and the attorney general of California over religious freedoms and the effort to close down a church there in California led by Pastor John MacArthur. Jenna, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, John. It's great to talk with you. And uh, yes, yeah, so much going on, and especially for religious liberty. Uh, I suspect you had a sleepless night last night because this morning <laughs> you filed a very important religious freedom lawsuit. Tell us uh, the latest about what happened this morning. Yeah, so I wear a lot of different hats, and uh, you know, this is in my capacity as special counsel to the Thomas More Society, which is um, a nonprofit that funds uh, religious freedom and family and faith uh, litigation and provides defenses for people uh, exactly like Pastor John MacArthur, who uh, has a church of um, about 6,000 people out in uh, Los Angeles in Sun Valley. And uh, we filed a lawsuit asking the uh, state of California and Los Angeles County to uh, to declare that the onerous and unconstitution unconstitutional restrictions on religious liberty and on the free exercise of uh, faith and worship uh, there as unconstitutional and declare that um, as null and void and then also um, to declare that uh, th those onerous restrictions cannot be enforced against the church. So, John, this is just so insane what uh, Los Angeles County is trying to do, because um, even in negotiating with their council over the past uh, week and a half, um, they asked us to show video of the indoor sanctuary that it was completely empty except for Pastor MacArthur and staff. Wow. I mean, this is something where they don't even want to say, oh, well, you can have 100 people, which, you know, a church of 6,000, that's impossible. But they want to put such onerous restrictions of closing the sanctuary and then also ridiculous restrictions outdoors. So what they've been saying is that the, the uh, regulations that they provided to the church actually said that you could not get within a six foot radius uh, of any other family group. And if you uh, even spoke face to face for 15 minutes or more uh, from someone that was not within your family group, then you would have to self-quarantine for 14 days. And that's wow. not just somebody who knowingly has COVID. Meanwhile, you could go anybody. to Walmart and do that in no time. Exactly. Exactly. And so this is specifically targeting churches. And, you know, John MacArthur is on the side of the Constitution. And for people who don't realize this, uh, the Constitution is mandated our government to preserve and protect religious liberty and protect churches and houses of worship. And so it's Gavin Newsom and all of the operatives in the state of California that are violating their mandate to preserve and protect religious freedom. And so Pastor MacArthur stands on the side of the actual law, not these uh, tyrannical imposition of orders that uh, find no basis or protection in the law. There's some great lines in this, and I think it really gets to the unequal protection, undue um, process that has gone on here. I'll just read this line. It was such an eloquent line. It's unconstitutional for Governor Newsom in the state of California to discriminate against churches by trust, treating them less favorably than other organizations and activities that are not protected by the First Amendment. And you pull out here some really good examples. This is especially the case when the government, meaning California, has given free reign to protesters and is not similarly restricting marijuana dispensaries, large retail onlets and factories, and abortion providers. There's a contrast for you. Um, 
tell me where this goes next. And I, actually, there's another line in here that caught my attention, and it's actually, it tugs at your heart. It's a personal one. With deaths from the COVID-19 suicide pandemic exceeding those from the actual coronavirus pandemic, Grace Community Church decided that it would no longer sit by and watch its congregants and their children suffer from an absence of religious worship and instruction. This is a statistic I hadn't heard, but are there more, have there been more suicides and coronavirus deaths? Yes. And in Los Angeles County, I mean, this is why, um, you know, that the services that churches provide absolutely are essential because, you know, if you think about this in the midst of a health pandemic, we're not going to close hospitals. Why would we close churches that deal with people's spiritual needs, not just their physical needs? And so, you know, this is something where we've seen President Trump is absolutely correct that, you know, the, the supposed cure is worse than than uh, the problem when you are closing all of these um, really essential services um, and particularly churches that provide uh, counseling, that provide community, that provide, um, you know, spiritual needs. And um, so we have seen, um, and in fact, John, you know, I'll tell you, I, a very good friend of mine um, out in, in uh, North Carolina uh, was 55. He normally uh, goes out to Colorado to be um, with university students um, and high school students for the summer teaching them. He didn't have that opportunity. And there were a lot of um, other circumstances in his life. But because, um, you know, I'm convinced because of the lockdown and how uh, much he felt lonely and was alone, um, ended up committing suicide a few oh, weeks ago. Um, so and, sorry. you know, so this is something that has really touched and concerned um, a lot of people to have you know, churches and other um, activities closed. Mm. That's so painful to hear. Well, it's a it's a very powerful argument. Folks, if you haven't read it, uh, if you go to justthenews.com, we have Jenna's great legal work there, and you can read the complaint. This is going to be a historic case, I suspect. Uh, do you think this gets all the way into the federal appeals and all the way up into the um, Supreme Court? Is it that important? Well, it's definitely that important. And I hope that, uh, you know, we always hope that we just uh, win in the first instance and we don't have to go that far. But we are challenging this um, initially through uh, the state level. So Correct. our arguments are based on the California state constitution, which mirrors our federal constitution, but it very well could end up in this in the U.S. Supreme Court. So, you know, this does have, I think, precedent as well, because Pastor MacArthur is, of course, internationally renowned. Um, he's been the, pa the lead pastor of Grace Community Church for 51 years right. um, is just beloved by the evangelical Christian community. So a lot of other churches, I think, are looking at his lead and what happens in this case. And um, he's encouraging other pastors to stand up and stand firm to make sure to shepherd their uh, their churches and their communities firmly and uh, without pandering to these ridiculous restrictions. And are you seeing uh, any harassment uh, by the state, by the government? You mentioned the camera incident. Uh, what other things has this church or other churches that you're aware of uh, put up with uh, from state regulators who've tried to intimidate them into not not having uh, worship services? Yeah, well, for the past two weeks, uh, the health officials have actually shown up at services wanting to enter and, and observe, which, of course, is uh, you know, very disruptive uh, to have their presence there when uh, worshipers are trying to be there uh, to participate in worship. So, you know, not only have they come, even when we asked them not to, we said, you know, we're trying to work all of this out and, you know, we're happy to show you the premises and, and other things um, outside of when we're actually holding services. But, you know, they went ahead and showed up anyway. And, 
um, you know, that was uh, very disrespectful uh, to the service. And also, um, you know, I'll tell you, John, uh, about six hours after we filed this lawsuit, um, L.A. County now through their health department um, has filed for a restraining order to try to shut down the services. So they were ready. They didn't even care what we said in the complaint. We asked them, you know, please have all of the health, health officials read our lawsuit, right. read the arguments, understand this. They were ready to go. They didn't care. They're just trying to target this church. For a country that was founded by a bunch of pilgrims and Puritans that came over trying to escape government intrusion on their faith, we're only 400 years removed from that. What has this pandemic done to the American consciousness about the importance of religious liberty and the importance of religious freedom? It seems like there are many states that don't feel like religion is an essential or even important part of society anymore. How did we get to this point? Well, you know, and that's a great question. I think that, uh, you know, Americans are waking up and realizing that uh, liberty and freedom is very precious. And uh, they're recognizing that we need to relearn civics. We need to uh, understand how far we have gone. And, you know, this has been a variety of factors, uh, John, that, you know, when we are in a post-truth society, when we are in a society of, uh, you know, people who look at their government as, uh, you know, giving them handouts as more of a socialist view, um, as an activist uh, judicial system has uh, taken a political route over the past 50 and 60 years. They've stepped well outside of their margins. Um, you know, we look at all of these things put together and America has been slowly transformed. And so we need to take this back. And as conservatives, we need to conserve our founding principles and like President Trump said so eloquently from Mount Rushmore, we have a heritage in our in America, and we have founding principles that America um, is the beacon of liberty and freedom to the rest of the world. And we need to, with our vote in November, we need to not only vote to reelect President Trump to make sure that he gets to continue to put on the federal bench judges that will protect and preserve all of our freedoms. I mean, even if you're even if you don't go to church and you don't really care about religious liberty, you care about your family, you care about your business. Everybody cares about freedom and the opportunity for prosperity in this country. And so we need to vote for President Trump because he will preserve and protect that. But we also need to vote all the way down ticket because as we see so clearly through this pandemic, the Democrat-led uh, states and cities and municipalities they used this so quickly to just harness illegitimate power, widespread power to now tell churches, tell businesses, tell you know you and I how we can live our lives when they don't have a compelling interest, when they don't have a health reason. This isn't about health. This is about partisan politics. And we need to start taking our country back. It's, a, it's an extraordinary time, and you're on the front lines of this. For, uh, for our listeners, I've been blessed to know you for a while, and I've seen your great work on Fox and in the courts and for the campaign. But tell everybody, how did you, how did you decide you wanted to be a lawyer and do this type of work? I mean, this is important work, but it's also hard work. It's not the glamour work that a lot of people go into law or uh, other things for. But uh, what, what inspired you to become a lawyer and do these sort of things? Yeah, well, thanks for that question. And, you know, the short answer is, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, an evangelical Christian. I am 
you know, thankful that God has ordained and established my steps every, uh, every step of the way. But, um, you know, I was homeschooled all the way through and through that experience of um, really getting mentorship from my parents, getting a really solid um, education in, in history and understanding civics, um, that really set me on a path of um, being able to, at a very young age, um, analyze some of these things. And I knew I wanted to be a lawyer from the time I was 14. I, I came home from a no class kidding. that was geared, 14. Yeah, that was geared toward homeschoolers, homeschooled students um, to teach about government. And one of the things we did was a moot court program. And I came home from that one week and I told my parents, I want to be a lawyer. And I've, I've never uh, changed my mind on that. So I thought I was going to be a career prosecutor. I was a prosecutor for a while right. in a Colorado. And then uh, going through law school, though, um, it just constitutional law bugged me. And it was I hated the class. It was my worst grade in law school because I didn't understand it. I was like, how how is this possible that when we know that truth doesn't change, how can we say that the arbitrary whim of nine of the majority of nine Supreme Court justices can tell us, you know, today something is wrong and then tomorrow just be like, oh, that's fine. You know, that, that didn't make sense to me. And so I wanted to provide an argument and a defense for the principles that I now advocate for, for uh, the president, for the campaign, now for John MacArthur. Um, and I wanted to present a clear defense. So in 2015, I wrote a book called The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution, and yeah. it lays out that defense. And through that book, um, I was able to then teach. I became a professor. I started, um, I was, I'm an allied attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, started specializing in constitutional law. And, um, you know, and then one day I got a phone call from, uh, from the president of the United States who, uh, said, you know, I, <laughs> you're, How you're hired. And, and I said, yes, sir. You know, so uh, it's been an amazing, amazing, uh, just ride. I, I have to say, I mean, it's been amazing to be oh. able to, uh, know personally the leader of the free world and especially a president as amazing as Donald Trump. Well, we also know, uh, I know it feels like a ride, but there's a lot of hard work. I know how hard you work. Yes. We've talked many nights late at night and I see you always online working and um, you're you're an industrious and hardworking. Uh, <laughs> but but it's the hard work that's the, the fun, you know? Yeah, I mean, it is. And you know that too, John, because you're, mm. you're the hardest working investigative um, reporter in D.C. So um, I appreciate that about you. It's a small crowd in that one, I'll tell you. Oh, boy. <laughs> Gosh. Well, uh, the case is so important. Folks, if you haven't seen it, check out this complaint today. It's so important. We have it on justthenews.com. And um, I want to pivot to a couple other important things, because when you're not out there defending the religious liberties of great churches, you've been uh, working very hard on this uh, growing mail-in balloting and ballot fraud and voter fraud issue that I think is going to become the issue of the fall Tell us where things stand in your mind, having done a lot of research. First off, the media has this story, this narrative, like they had with Russia a few years ago. There is no ballot fraud. There's no such problems. <laughs> uh, you found a lot of them, didn't you? Oh, yeah. And, you know, all you have to look at is, uh, you know, this past year, even right. when you have... Uh, you know, instances of fraud when you have, you know, 110% of, you know, going back to LA, right, um, who are voting when you have uh, New York, what what happened with their chaotic uh, two different uh, elections there that they didn't even know the outcome for over six weeks. When you look at what's going on in Pennsylvania, 
Um, you know, when you look at Patterson, New Jersey, that right. one out of uh, five, every five ballots was discarded as ineligible. Um, and, you know, and then you look at Pennsylvania with the votes wagon of the Democrat operatives that are going around ballot harvesting, collecting ballots and saying, sure, I'll turn that in for you. And you have no idea whether that's altered, manipulated or even gets to uh, the polls. And so and the, and the biggest issue right now going on, um, you know, even with all those examples is in Nevada, where the General yeah. Assembly, with less than 90 days to go before the presidential election, passed AB4, this Assembly Bill 4, where they're basically trying to remove every single precaution and security from the election in November. So they're trying to push out universal vote by mail, which is just the state sending out millions and millions of ballots to unverified individuals and unverified addresses. And by the way, when I say individual, that now can either mean a dog or a cat in some instances that we've seen. (laughs) Um, And then they also want to remove the protections from the back end and allow ballots to be counted uh, well after the deadline. So this is just setting us up for absolute chaos. I want to walk you through the different types because sometimes people hear mail-in ballot and then it's all one big soup, but there's different types of balloting. So I want to go through a couple of the terms that you use, help our reader because you're so smart, you're going to do this way better than I am. Um, absentee ballots, been around a long time. Any concern with absentee ballots? Yeah, uh, no. So those the only concern with absentee ballot is to make sure that it actually properly gets to uh, the precinct so that it is counted. And so if you are a person who you're a registered voter, you request your ballot to your current address. Right. That's great. A lot of people do that. That's what the president's talking about in Florida. That's one person requesting their own ballot. But best practice, if that's you, turn that in yourself at, you know, at a drive-by drop-off box. Or if you have to, if you're out of state like I am uh, right now, I'm in D.C., but I'm still um, a resident of the state of Colorado. Colorado right. I'll have to send it through the mail. But what I'm not going to do is give it to a third party, to a harvester, and say, sure, turn that in for me. So absentee, perfectly fine, available in all 50 states. But make sure that you are observing best practices if you have to vote absentee. But the ultimate best practice, of course, is to show up in person and vote. And if we can stand in line at a grocery store, at a hardware store, we can stand in line to vote. That's a great point. You don't hear the media say that, but it's so true. And I think there will be tens of millions of people ready to do so on November 3rd. Uh, ballot harvesting, that, that is a, a term that has become more and more prevalent in society. I want to take people back. I mean, there are a couple of states where predominantly the majority of the state now votes by mail-in. I think Washington state is one of those. Uh, but there is this new science, this new political get-out-the-vote operation called ballot harvesting, where people go out give you the application, you fill it out, they come back when you get the ballot and they promise to deliver it. And there are real concerns about the legality in the, in, of some of the practices in, in ballot, harvesting, ballot harvesting. And it seems like Democrats are, more, uh, are doing that more often than Republicans, right? Ballot harvesting seems to be a Democrat phenomenon. Am I accurate in saying that? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, ballot harvesting, like a lot of other good ideas, started out uh, with, the, with trying to help uh, elderly people or people who were in an at-risk category, um, having their caregiver or a family member be able to assist them. And that makes sense, right? We all go, okay, you know, that's helping someone with, uh, with turning in their ballot. But then uh, what's happened is then ballot harvesting now becomes, it's not just, you know, me helping my mom or, you know, you helping your grandparents. It then becomes a totally unrelated person 
not just collecting, you know, one or two ballots, but going around and collecting thousands and thousands of ballots mm. for the purpose of, um, you know, of potentially altering, manipulating the ballots or not even turning them in if you don't vote the quote unquote correct way. So ballot harvesting happens. There have been multiple instances of prosecutions. Um, for example, in the state of Texas, right. there was a ring of women who actually went and targeted an, um, an elderly uh, nursing home and tried to collect all of the ballots in the nursing home. And so mm. when you're talking about a state like Florida, absentees fine, but don't give your ballot to a harvester. Make sure you are turning it in yourself. And uh, so ballot harvesting, you know, like Pennsylvania, the votes wagon, that was a Democrat operative um, and operation that went around uh, in these neighborhoods just to collect ballots. So harvesting, mm. while it started off as, you know, a, a good idea to help people genuinely in need of that service. Uh, this has now, of course, become um, a way to manipulate the system. Unreal. Uh, over the, like a couple of weeks ago now, it goes by fast, but after all this uh, media coverage thing, there's no, there's no election fraud. I went through PACER, the court system, and just pulled federal and state prosecutions. And there are some amazing schemes that have gone on in just the last couple of years. And I, I just want to go through a couple of them in California. They were paying homeless people to pose as voters because someone had gotten hold of their mail-in ballot or their ballot, and they uh, a man was just charged for that in a widespread effort in Los Angeles that occurred on Skid Row. Uh, and then we've had in Philadelphia, you know, old-fashioned ballot, st uh, ballot box stuffing uh, that went on for years, and multiple people in the Democratic Party have been implicated, including a former congressman. So from coast to coast, from north to south, you heard the Texas one, uh, if you loosen the protections on voting, it appears more and more people will take advantage of trying to exploit that and create Ill illegal and inappropriate voting. Um, what will the Trump campaign, what will the Republican National Committee, what should everyday Americans do beyond practicing their own safe voting? Okay, make sure if you do, do an absentee ballot, don't give it to a harvester, deliver it yourself, follow good practices. But what can the Trump campaign do? What will it do? What will the RNC do? What can everyday Americans concerned about this issue do to stop ballot fraud around them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a great question. And like uh, almost everything else, it starts with good education. So once you know safe practices, uh, inform your friends and family of safe practices, encourage them to uh, vote in person if they can, or, you know, definitely don't uh, allow a harvester to collect their ballot, you know, go through all of those safety practices. And uh, for people who want to help out, um, you can go to armyfortrump.com. That's our election day operations. Okay. And if you want to vote in your um, or you want to help rather in your precinct and uh, and actually show up on election day and help with election integrity and um, and even the the weeks leading up to the election in your uh, home state and district then you can sign up at armyfortrump.com. And what the RNC and the Trump campaign is doing beyond our election day operations to make sure that, you know, regardless of who you're voting for, we want to make sure that every eligible person's vote is counted and counted once. We don't want it diluted. And we want to make sure that the American hallmark of our citizen uh, representatives and our citizen government is free and fair elections. And so we are also, Such you can go to protectthevote.com to see where the RNC and the Trump campaign is fighting through the court system and litigation to hopefully uh, curb this tide somewhat uh, before November 3rd. Now, you've already had an impact in California, right? Didn't Gavin Newsom withdraw his 
mail it to everybody plan uh, after the RNC and the um, Trump campaign and others uh, sued? They did. And, you know, unfortunately, in California, the General Assembly that is also Democrat led in both chambers came to his rescue. And our argument there was that you can't the executive branch cannot change voting laws uh, just through executive order. But the General Assembly came and basically bailed him out and they passed legislation. So we're still contemplating, uh, you know, what to do with that in California, similarly to Nevada. You know, it did go through the legislature, but we can still uh, file suit on those types of uh, bills because there is an equal protection argument. Um, There are other constitutional concerns with removing safeguards this close to an election or ever. Yeah, such an important argument. It's going to be an an amazing uh, election and perhaps the first election since 2000, the hanging election in Florida, uh, (laughs) where the courts are going to be, I think, significantly involved in this election nationwide, not just in episodic cases, but uh, I think there's a national uh, uh, play for the courts here probably uh, over the next few weeks. And that's a a subject I want to turn to quickly because you mentioned um, the importance of judges. I just saw a speech yesterday uh, from a senior Justice Department official who announced that for the first time in 57 years, every single appellate court judgeship has been filled. The first time a president has done that since the 1950s or 1960s. Really remarkable tribute. The, The Trump uh, team uh, has seemed to really put a premium on not letting any court judgeship go unfilled, right? Leave no judge behind, I guess, is the uh, the uh, the plan. But uh, talk about the, just the record, the success record of the Trump administration on getting jurists uh, through the Senate. Yeah, well, you know, I've always said as a constitutional law attorney, uh, the two most important uh, powers that the president of the United States possesses, uh, first is commander in chief of the military, and the second is the ability uh, to nominate federal judges um, all across, you know, the federal bench as well as uh, the Supreme Court. And so President Trump has made that a priority to make sure to put conservatives on the bench. And you know, for people who are listening who don't understand, that doesn't mean that Republicans always win. That means that we're conserving the rule of law, that these are genuinely umpires who understand that they have no political interest in which team wins. They are simply applying fairly and faithfully the rules of the game. And so conservative judges are, is what every side should want. But of course, you know, the Democrats want the activist judges that will ensure that their policies and their preferences are pushed through the judicial branch and they're manipulating it. So President Trump is actually very close to uh, actually flipping the Ninth Circuit uh, that is out there, you know, covers California um, and, and a few other states um, out there that's been known as the Ninth Circus right. for so long because yeah. um, they've just been so ridiculous and they have the worst record to, of being overturned the at the Court. U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so he's now appointed well over 200 federal judges as well as obviously uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh and Justice Neil Gorsuch. And if he were to get another four years, this record of filling judicial appointments and perhaps more in the Supreme Court uh, would would uh, would be bigger. I think it's a big issue in the election that will motivate a lot of uh, voters. I suspect. Yes, absolutely, and um, and I think that that's something that we as uh, conservatives really need to consider as we look at who we are voting for and uh, we look at what is at stake here. I mean, it's not just the top level policies. This goes all the way throughout our entire system of government. And we need to make sure that we're, with our vote, 
doing the best that we can to make sure that our citizen-led government is preserving and protecting our rights at every level from the federal all the way down. Such an important issue. All right, I'm going to take the two issues we talked about. I'm going to mash them together in a soup bowl here. We've been talking about religious freedom in the era of COVID and all the restrictions. We've been talking about voting and balloting and the issues there. I want to put them together because, as you've aptly noted, uh, many of the places that are being kept closed in the COVID crisis right now, schools and churches on Election Day, often are precinct locations for voting. Are you concerned that there's a continuum, uh, some sort of dynamic here that could really have a negative effect on Election Day? If schools are closed all the way up to Election Day, will they not open to be precincts on Election Day? And could that be part of a larger strategy? Yeah, you know, John, um, this this was a really interesting issue to me as I was looking at, uh, you know, what we're dealing with on the campaign side. And we know that Democrats are trying to push this uh, nationwide scheme of uh, universal vote by mail. And uh, they're trying to use the coronavirus pandemic as a pretext to push that through and say, oh, well, it'll be too onerous for people to get to the polls. They're trying to close polling locations um, in order to justify that, say it'll be overly burdensome. And so we know that. And then we look at how they're treating uh, churches and schools in particular really disparately. And they're trying with their best efforts to keep churches and public schools closed. And, you know, as we're looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, Democrats have always been for public education. I mean, now that, you know, so many people are actually uh, doing homeschool and they're, you know, I mean, this, this seems to be really antithetical to what uh, Democrats have always stood for. It occurred to me that, um, statistics show that there are so many people, and I, and I want to get the accurate number, but I was reading um, you know, just a few statistics yesterday that somewhere in the neighborhood of 60% or more of individuals not only register, but actually show up to vote at churches and public schools. Isn't and so when you look number? at that, wow. could it be that Democrats are targeting churches and schools because this is going to help advance their election integrity nationwide vote by mail scheme. And I think that there's a really interesting comparison there. Fantastic news to watch. We should be watching that and keep an eye on that. I think it's a, a dynamic a lot of people haven't put together, but I know you have and you've been watching it closely. All right, last thing, because I know you got a lot of busy legal things to get to. I want to ask one other question. Earlier this week, you were the target of a, a digital social flash mob. Uh, that uh, reached out and attacked you for some comments you made about the uh, Pennsylvania health secretary who is a biological male that identifies as a transgender woman. Tell me uh, what that was like, and I'd like to give you a chance to respond because the the social media mob has done quite a bit of job of responding for you, but what happened and uh, what's your response to all those who criticize you? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, we can look at what uh, Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania and uh, Dr. Levine, this health secretary, uh, what they did in response to the coronavirus pandemic and all of the failures in Pennsylvania, similarly to New York with, uh, you know, nursing homes. And we can and should uh, hold them accountable uh, just on that issue in their own right on on that. But um, the thing that, you know, should not be controversial um, at all is to simply say that Dr. Levine, who was born Dr. Richard, Richard Levine, um, who now identifies as Rachel and um, is a transgender woman and wants to be called uh, she and her, well, he is still a biological man. And to simply uh, recognize that fact that um, our biology 
and uh, is immutable. That's something that no matter how much we butcher our bodies, no matter what fantasy world we're living in, no matter what we want to be called, we are still immutably male and female. And so to simply acknowledge that um, on Twitter became this extremely overblown controversy where, you know, oh my gosh, this is hate speech. And, you know, this is, um, you know, you're not respecting this person. Well, I think actually, John, it is more respectful to a person to acknowledge reality and the truth of how God made them rather than allowing them to perpetuate a lie to themselves and to their communities. But this is what the Democrats and the extreme leftists want. They want to compel us to have to participate in their lies. They want to compel us to have to speak against our own sincerely held beliefs and against the fundamental empirical truth of the reality to which God's presented us. And I simply stood up and I hope that that encourages other people to simply stand up for truth. And so um, you know, that became a, a controversy and to the extent that it helps uh, people simply say, you know what, we don't have to pander and cater to the lies of the left. Um, I hope that that does encourage people. And, um, you know, and as a Christian myself and speaking only for myself, I do pray for this country, for the people who are caught up in this, especially uh, the children that this impacts. I and mean, if you look at the transgender movement and how children are affected by hormone therapy, by surgeries, uh, by, you know, so many things that are outside of their control. They are the, the greatest victims of this um, movement and this evil from the left. And, um, you know, I applaud J.K. Rowling uh, for standing up for the truth of this. And I would also encourage people uh, to read a book by a very good friend of mine. Her name is Nancy Piercy, P-E-A-R-C-E-Y. And it's called Love Thy Body. And she goes through the reasons why we need to respect um, our bodies as God made them and actually recognize that empirical truth. And she goes through some really good uh, philosophical arguments uh, of recognizing biological truth. When I read through some of the Twitter comments aimed at you, and I'm an, I'm, I grew up in a family full of Irish cops, so I'm not one to blush easily, but there were some pretty ugly things in there, uh, which I know you brush off. You don't take anything personally. But you know, one of the things here is if you have these views as a Christian, as a conservative, as you clearly do, and you so articulately you know, laid them out, people try to portray this as you hate that person, you you're uh, hateful. This is hate speech. I saw that a lot in the in the um, in the pushback on you. Do you hate the Pennsylvania secretary? Not at all. And, you know, um, I pray for him and I hope that uh, he comes into saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as his own personal Lord and Savior. And, you know, for any of these people who, even though obviously we're fighting against um, the evil ideas and um and the evil agenda of the left, the individual people that are caught up in this, um, I genuinely feel sorry for them. And I genuinely hope that, um, you know, they end up coming into an understanding of the empirical truth and that, you know, the only meaning and joy and um, answer to life's most basic questions for any of us, who we are, why we're here, where we're going, who is God? The only truthful answer to that is found in the Christian worldview contained in the Bible. And that is true no matter uh, what issue any of us struggle with. I'm a sinner as well. I mean, and I 
thankfully am hopefully daily becoming more perfected into the image of Christ. And so, um, you know, to claim that this is hate speech is just a really easy way for, you know, people to push back. Um, and what, what was so funny too, John, is one person on Facebook said, you know, this is so hateful and you have to uh, call everyone by their personal preferred pronouns and um, you know, and I know that you're a biological female, but you're, you're just so evil that I'm going to only call you it. And I thought, so <laughs> wow. he's so convinced of his own argument that he's not going to call me by my preferred pronouns. I mean, this is how absurd the yeah. left is at arguing. It's uh, you know, there are legitimate disputes and there's no reason to make them things of hate and, and, and flash mob mentality. I think that's one of the most troubling things I see in the future of America is this willingness to not agree to disagree, but instead to to turn everything into hatred and destruction and personal destruction, which particularly in the last three, four years since President Trump has become president has become more of a norm than the aberration. And I think we all need to look inward and try to find a way to solve this anger and this hatred that divides us. There's much more that unites us and divides us in America because yeah. we're such a great country. We really are. We are. And, you know, and I'll say one more thing on that. I mean, this is why America is so exceptional and why our first freedoms are embedded and enumerated in our First Amendment to the Constitution. Freedom of speech, uh, freedom of assembly and association and free exercise of religion. Why? So we can come together to speak together about truth and about God. And our government is not supposed to compel us to believe in God, to not believe in God. This is something that we all have to make a personal decision. What do we believe? What do what do we believe about truth? What do we believe about God? And in our country, we should have the freedom and liberty to debate these things openly and without censorship from government an and frankly, point. without censorship from big tech either. Yeah, no, that is the defining issue of the next few years. We've got to get through this and realize that it's okay to disagree uh, and to have a robust debate and one side shouldn't silence the other just because they own a Twitter or Facebook or uh, whatever it's going to be in the future. Well, Jenna, how do people follow you, get in touch with you if they have a case or uh, what's uh, how do we follow you on Twitter? Do you have a law firm address? How do people get in touch with you? Yes. Uh, so find me on Twitter at Jenna Ellis ESQ. That's for Esquire. So at Jenna Ellis ESQ. I'm also on Facebook. Um, you can also find me, um, of course, at the campaign. You can go to DonaldJTrump.com or for anything uh, legal related. You can also find me uh, with the Thomas More Society. It's M-O-R-E, uh, ThomasMoreSociety.org. All right. Well, thank you for spending so much time. And we, we covered a lot of ground. I hope we get you back before Election Day because I have a funny feeling the very issues we talked about today are going to be that important still on November 2nd, November 3rd. We'll try to get you back. Sounds good, John. Anytime. Thank Thanks. you, Jenna. All right, folks, we're going to come back in a second and wrap things up. You've just been listening to Jenna Ellis. Was that a blast? We had a lot of fun. We'll be back in a few seconds. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. Thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for tuning in all week. We've had some amazing guests. 
You heard from Sean Hannity. Uh, you heard from the author who has challenged the COVID-19 reporting and misreporting in the news media. Um, uh, he was great. Matt Margolis, a tremendous book. If you have a chance, go get that. I love that book. It, it does a good job of highlighting. Just like reporters got Russia wrong, they've gotten a lot wrong in COVID-19. And somebody, somebody has to hold them to account. And Matt Margolis has done that. Uh, all throughout the week, we've been blessed with great guests, newsy guests, breaking news. Jenna Ellis, a great example. Um, now, we're going to head into the weekend. I hope everybody has a safe and healthy weekend. Hope you enjoy your time with your families. We'll be back next week with lots more news. We're going to have a Democratic convention. Well, kind of next week in Milwaukee. It'll kind of be virtual, kind of like what we saw with Kamala Harris and Joe Biden in an empty high school auditorium. Uh, President Trump's going to have it the week after that. So we're going to see two virtual for the first time in our lives, two mostly virtual uh, nominating conventions. But you know what? It's going to be news. There'll be important things going on. We're going to check it out and be leading the way at Just the News. You can check in often with us in next week's podcast. I suspect we'll have a little bit to do with the conventions, the election, and politics, and maybe a whole lot more. All right. Have a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. We'll be back at you next week. Hear that? That's the sound of change being cooked up in our schools. Each day, school food professionals throughout California are working to make better meals for our kids, one tray at a time. These meal planning, sauce stirring, taste bud training professionals are making food for students from kindergarten to high school using fresher ingredients and flavors kids love. The secret ingredient to better school food in California? The dedicated professionals who are improving it every day. Learn more about how they're cooking up change at schoolfoodpros.org. Grant provided by California Community College's Chancellor's Office.